So Matt C. Smith in the house, the Lunicorn is here. Welcome to the Strong Startup Podcast. Um, no, really, really happy to have you here. And uh, maybe just we'll dive straight in at the beginning, if that's okay with you. And maybe you could just Sorry, describe friend. yourself, although you're super famous. I think everyone knows you already, Matt. Uh, describe yourself maybe in a tweet, uh, just so the audience can get a little taste about uh, who you are and what you do. Thanks. Sure. Uh, mate, cheers. Thanks for having me. Um, no, I'll do the boring one and the fun one. So I think I'll start with the fun one, of course. Um, give me an audience and I'll give you a show. Uh, I don't really know what that means, but uh, for me, it is that I'm, I sort of, I love to perform. I love to uh, host shows, documentaries, whatever it is that I'm doing. Uh, and that goes even for, you know, hosting a dinner in a kitchen or whatever. And then, and then the boring one is that I'm very much a startup all rounder, to be honest with you, because I've been a VC. I started my startup career in a VC. I know we're going to chat about that today. Uh, and then I moved into operational roles, running a few startups uh, as sort of a, a, you know, COO, CFO. Uh, I was, had the luck of investing in a, in a unicorn, actually, which I can talk to you about. It was my first investment oh. as a VC. Uh, that was quite a lucky one. Farfetch. Um, and uh, yeah, been, been, a, been an angel as well as now an exited founder. So I would say that I'm a startup all-rounder. Absolutely. You seem to tick all the boxes, actually. That's very interesting <laughs> <laughs> from both sides, right? Yeah, cool. And that's really, really interesting. Um, I think let's dive straight in because I would love to just know a little bit more about your journey. This is like a little bit of a... Um, yeah, a guilty pleasure from my side to kind of learn about how you transition through those different roles, kind of like maybe in a short version of your, your startup journey, right? Uh, in particular, I'm interested about how you went from your master's to like a, becoming a VC and then, you know, later on deciding uh, that, hey, look, I want to go into this, what you're doing now, which is essentially mm -hmm. a, a startup media broadcaster, which is definitely something that I want to go towards in the next year or two, uh, the shorter timeline, the better, I think. And so maybe you could talk a little bit about your journey then. And uh, I think I'm definitely going to interrupt you and ask you to talk about your first uh, investment because that sounds super interesting. Yeah, that's awesome, Anna. But uh, mate, I have to credit you though, too. I've been watching you for a while. You've been exploding recently. And actually, you know, everyone listening to this, uh, just before we went live, Alan just gave me some golden nuggets uh, of information that I've been searching for. So Alan, mate, you are the guru, trust me. Uh, uh -huh. So I appreciate it, mate. But um, all right, so, so first question, all right, how did I, how did I get into VC and all, and all that kind of stuff and uh, transition into that, right? Um, as you said, straight out of uh, my master's, I, uh, you know, hadn't intended to work in VC, actually. I was, I'd just been given a job offer at Morgan Stanley to work in commodities, right? Because like all young, ignorant men without um, much of an idea of what they want to do, my dad was in commodities. So I was, I want, that's what I was going to do, right? I just natural finished my, path. my natural path, right? And, 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 and young women too, of course, uh, both, we've all fallen into that trap, right? So, um, so I, I, I'd studied finance, my undergrad, postgrad, and then um, I, but I like fashion. So I, uh, I didn't know that I, about you. That's actually interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Quite like fashion. Yeah. It's always been a running joke amongst my friends. Anyway, now uh, I decided that maybe I could do something in finance for GQ magazine. You know, before I go and accept this job in a bank, how about I, 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 I see if I could get a role at like, GQ. Now, GQ is owned by Condé Nast, which is a media company, which also owns Vogue and a bunch of media companies. It's a $20 billion company, probably a media company uh, by an American family, right? Um, and, I, and I just get redirected to their website. And then I start looking for the jobs. And obviously, it's, it's like editors, photographers, you know, fashion people, right? And then I see investment analysts. And I'm like, hold on a minute. What is, what is this? Anyway, sounds so good. My, it sounds great, right? In my pursuit of following a passion and an interest being uh, fashion, I stumble upon this hidden nugget and uh, undersubscribed VC job in this new $200 million growth stage fund of Condé Nast, the, the big media company, right? And obviously the, the kind of guys who should have been applying for that, the kind of girls, uh, they weren't because they didn't find it and it was new. Uh, and so I became the first hire into the new corporate venture fund of Condé Nast out of London. 
that's unbelievable. Like, I mean, mm. I mean, it seems like you really knew what you kind of wanted in the beginning, right? I mean, you were lucky to find it, of course, because you were searching mm. for it, but it's very rare for someone fresh out of college to say, hey, let's like merge my passion with what I want to do and for a career. So it's like super, super mm. interesting. So take me on from, from that role. I mean, tell me a little bit then about your first investment. So uh, mm. I read a little bit about it in your bio, but for the audience, mm. it would be super to talk about your, your very first investment. Did you just like, you had previously studied business or is it, was it finance and economics? Yeah, right? finance and economics, exactly. And, you know, so obviously like anyone uh, who's interested in VC, you know, obviously when you go in as an analyst, you know, it's like any role when you're we're going in there in the junior levels, uh, what if what analysts of VCs do? They look through pitch decks, right? That's pretty yeah. much your job. Uh, and then you basically, you're basically, you're a filter. Your job is to filter. And then you then you you take your kind of you know your your, uh, your 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 top ten every couple of weeks and you present them to your managers hoping to have found a golden nugget right and that's what I did for a period of time uh, and uh, so Condé asked quick thing about the fund that we were a two hundred million dollar uh, evergreen corporate venture fund which meant that you know the the, the funds came straight from the company that owned mm-hmm. us um, the parent company Condé Nast we could invest uh, one to ten million dollars. That I could write checks for one to ten million dollars, wow. and this is in two thousand and like you know thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and then the, that, those years, um, where That's early you know, stages for Europe in terms of VCs, you know, right? Exactly. This is the, yeah. this is you know this is like a, this is a decade ago almost, right? So that back then that was a Series B. You went at ten million dollars. So so we, obviously we went we were co-investing amongst uh, other VCs anyway, and but we were investing in a very unique space, right? But we were investing in fashion, uh, e-commerce, um, lifestyle tech, mm. which, you know, there weren't really many VCs that focus on lifestyle tech. There are a few B2C business to customer VCs, of course, um, but not many, you know, mostly it's B2B SaaS. They love that because it's scalable and sexy, right? Big multiples, growth trajectories, low capital intensive, uh, at least yeah. after the first Series A and things. So we were investing in this sort of fashion space and being Condé Nast, owning Vogue and GQ and all these other magazines, all those companies came to us. So to be honest with you, coming to our first investments, um, Farfetch was the, uh, the, 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 the investment that we, we did, which we invested in a few German companies as well. I was part of the team that put those through. Uh, we did the Series B and Series C and then follow on for Series D. And I, I was part of the Series C as well, um, doing that investment in them. And they, they, you know, like that, that came through the grapevine really for, to finding us. But I remember writing a report in 2014, I think it was, um, when we just done the Series B, which was a $20 million round, uh, which we led. I won't say what we did, but we did a, a, a larger majority of that round. Um, then we did the Series C, which was a $66 million round at a, you know, now we're talking like we're getting into the mid hundreds of millions valuation, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, dollars, serious business. Uh, serious stuff, right? And I remember writing uh, to our investment committee, you know, because I was putting together the term sheets. We we're getting ready to go into due diligence. So we were going to commit, you know, many, many millions to this round, right? To do our pro rata, to follow on, not to be diluted. And, uh, and I had to convince the, the, the investment directors that this is a good investment to, to make, right? And I wrote this paper saying, you know, like just two pages, uh, but really in-depth analysis, like mm. why they're going to be worth a billion pounds a billion dollars within the next like three years, right? Wow. You're doing a pitch one on year, the pitch, right? On a pitch, one year later, billion dollar valuation. So Ooh. they beat me by two years, basically. And then they IPO'd in 2017 at $6.5 billion. So that was our first investment and then obviously became a unicorn. That's crazy. But it sounds like you were like already on top of the rocket ship, you know, sitting next to Elon Musk and flying into space in your first year after your master's, right? That's crazy. It was, uh, I, was, I was lucky because, you know, the team that I joined, obviously, um, you know, we, it was just two of us in London, myself and my boss, uh, Jan Zabota, a German guy. Um, mm. and, uh, and then everyone else was in New York from the investment team, wow. right? So we were there 
Farfetch was based in London. Actually, I'm coming. Uh, I'm you know I'm, I'm in Lisbon right now. The the, the founders from Portugal, and you know um, so yeah, I was very lucky to be part of the team that put that together and stuff like that, and then did the follow-ons and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, so yeah, amazing exposure dropped in the deep end, especially to companies of that scale. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I have a quick question then, just off the top of my head. Did you did you feel like as if your your education prepared you in some way for this, or did you find that your education was like a necessity for entering into this space? Uh, like, I'm just wondering for people that maybe are interested in joining VCs. We have a VC arm as part of Untenematum, uh, where mm. I work with the, with an incubator within that uh, organization. And there's always a lot of interest. There's a lot of mystique around like VCs. So, mm. do you maybe you could talk a little bit about what's needed for an entry point? Like you're doing reviews of pitch decks, but you also mm. have to have a good financial competence to understand cap tables and how a Series A works, etc. Right? Yeah. Um, so, firstly, I think any job, uh, you know, if you can get it, you know, you can you learn on on the on the role, right? Like you can't, you know, studying for obviously now VC, obviously then it was obviously attractive, but now it's a lot more transparent. Like so many. Uh, analysts, principals, you name it, have gone public and become media personalities themselves, right? Yeah. So I think all the information that you'll ever need to learn is already available, right? Same thing for anything. So on TikTok, back, on, on TikTok, on uh, you know, Alan, Alan, uh, Mr. <laughs> startup. Um, what's your TikTok handle? Uh, the, the strong startup. Yeah, the strong startup. Yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. cool. Um, anyway, I'll check that one out. Um, <laughs> I've been avoiding TikTok, everyone, for a long time. Alan's just convinced me to go back into it. So oh, you have to. to You've convinced time, me so. to like through your recent video about Clubhouse. That I, I like I have to get on Dude. that horse. I'm already there, but I haven't like committed fully yet. So I did my first one last night, but uh, we'll talk about that later. So yeah, anyway, cool. VC, right? Um, obviously everything you learn on the job, right? You know, you also think about VC is very much a gut instinct thing too about understanding. Okay, is this founder? Because you know you're looking for talented people basically. Yeah. Um, for me, I learn obviously everything on the job. However, I will say and I will plug. I did my master's at Cass Business School in London, mm. uh, and that was really instrumental. I thought that was extremely practical. I haven't done other masters, so I can't say that it's better or worse than others, but at least from my experience and had friends on that master who'd done other ones, it was super hands-on. So I went into that role really with a decent understanding of the world of fund management, uh, you know, how those things, wow. structures worked, how investments would work, cap tables, things like that. Um, and the rest, you kind of just figure it out as you go, to be honest with you. And hopefully yeah. you have a good mentor. And I think that's a recommendation for anyone. Like find someone who, preferably the person you work with that you can learn from. If they're not that kind of type, try and seek that person out, even if it's uh, a peer in your industry. Um, so, you know, find another VC. So very early on, we set up this little club. Uh, I set up this club, actually, a Facebook group called the Young Startup, like the v Young VC Startup thing. I forgot what I called it. And it was basically um, me... Uh, Ari Helgeson, who's from Index Ventures, now is like a, the, the biggest wow. VC guy ever. This is back when he was like, you know, back when Facebook was cool, Matt. <laughs> back when Facebook was cool, I think MySpace was still live. No, yeah. anyway, and uh, and we did, we did, uh, we we'd have lunch together in Soho and dinners, and then oh, a guy called Stefan von Perger uh, beat me to it. He did it properly. He created a proper group, and now that's the Young VC Network on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Uh, with a thousand members and it's like quite a good valuable asset to have and i wished i'd Crazy. done it properly but yeah, anyway yeah, yeah. uh so yeah that, that I, I figured that all out to be honest with you so i'm um, studying things obviously to answer that question like what can you study to be a good vc to be honest with you um you know i think if you look at the kind of people vcs uh, attract you know it tends to be uh, the breed of the, the goldman sachs the you know ex yeah. um ex oxford cambridge lots Basically, having a domain knowledge is valuable, especially mm -hmm. today when VCs are hyper-specific. Like, I'm an expert at fintech, right? Like, so you've maybe spent time at an incubator, at an accelerator. You've studied new uh, technologies within finance. You've studied um, 
changing tides by that i mean like P psd uh, what's it psd2 mm -hmm. um all these different uh, um changes in policy right you know if you understand these kind of things within an industry that's valuable to a vc because you know you can you can spot trends spot people who know the trend is coming and are developing a good product for it so you know um but ultimately to get into vc you need to know the right people to be honest with you yeah it's like everything else in life right to succeed yeah. and even with getting a chance to pitch to a VC as a startup, it's always about warm contacts, right? I mean, exactly. God knows how many emails they get per day. Yeah, but yeah. I just wanted to comment on on your point about experience. I think it's uh, it's so so important to take action on on whatever it is you want to do. I mean, this is what you did. You sought out an opportunity that would merge your passion with a, a job and a career, and you managed to find that. So, I think quite often people and we discussed this earlier about how you got mm. uh, the slide being a CEO to come on one of your videos is just ask. You know, like awesome. ask the universe ask the CEO directly or just put, put the thought out there. Otherwise mm. it's just not going to happen, right? No one's going to turn around and just give it to you and put it on your lap. You have to mm. take the action towards it. But um, I just wanted to say, I did my first round. So I just joined this incubator um, uh, in, in January this year. And we did our first round of 150 pitch tech reviews uh, for the, the next batch of teams that are coming through Explorers Incubator. And I can tell you, like, I'm so like, I feel like super razor sharp now, just after looking at 150, that I've got already so many lessons that I want to mm. pass on to people after just doing this grueling, like two or three day <laughs> activity of going through it. So I can only imagine with VCs, like you really train your eye. You can probably mm. see the very clear mistakes of what you find uh, attractive on your side mm. as a VC. And you, you kind mm. of develop this automatic filter, I'm sure. Right. But mm. it comes from experience. You just have to mm. be there and you have to do the hard work. You know, I'll add one thing to that. Um, just to a 10 second ad, which is that yeah. you also gain a benchmark. So yeah. you forget, you forget, like, for example, I would, I would be looking at, you know, say just the easy example of e-commerce mm. uh, companies, right. In fashion. Right. So I'd understand what's the average order value of company. You know, and I just remembered that like the average order value, I guess had natural benchmarks. So if someone would say that their customer acquisition cost is X, I'd be like, that's above average, you know, or like that's below <laughs> average. Why, you know, what are you doing? And then yeah. actually, you know, learning from them. And, and it, so all of a sudden I say, I saw 17 of the same companies. Right. And, mm. and then, and I saw another one, I put them in that order in my head. I just be like, you're number eight. You know, you're, okay, you're yeah. in top two. Shit, we should be talking, right? So you sort of yeah. just get developed this natural uh, talent anyway. Yeah, no, I'm going to I'm gonna convert exactly what you said into like everything that startups should do, which is I, I'm a strong believer that they should first start with talking to customers. Like, and everyone's afraid of it, right? Because it's terrifying mm. to go and cold call someone or send a message to someone on LinkedIn. But this is, I, I'm a big fan of the idea of a hundred meaningful conversations, right? I think it's actually an iCure uh, methodology from the UK. Uh, it's used by, I think, UK Innovate, uh, this organization. Mm. But it's the same thing, right? The, the more experience you have with this, the, mm. the better your benchmark becomes for the right questions to ask, or in your case, uh, the right things to look for as a VC, mm. right? For whatever benchmarks it is. Uh, mm. two, two pain points that I have is that so many people didn't put a business model, like a proper, clear business model. Like this is our beachhead market. This is how much money we will mm. potentially uh, charge for a customer on average. And this is the potential annual revenue. Mm. I, I always miss those three numbers in so many pitch decks. So I have to make can a I, video Can I challenge it. you on that? Can I challenge you on that? Do it. All right. So uh, obviously, as we all do, I do a lot of pitch deck prep for companies and I do talks around this kind of thing. Right. And one thing I always try to talk to them as well is like, ultimately, you know, you can't cover everything in a pitch deck that's anything from 12 to 16 slides. Right. And you don't want to either, because if you're smart about it, if you leave one hole or two holes, one of those holes might be a, the business model question, the, the unit economics yeah. question or whatever it is. Right. Especially if you're pitching live. I know it's a bit difficult now when you're not pitching live. But if you leave one thing out and obviously your story is compelling enough, you actually engineer the second meeting because they're going to reach out Ooh. with a question 
and say, hey, actually, what is your what is your business model? And then you've got them coming to you now. And you're like, yeah, great. Well, let's have that 30 minute you know, video conference. And then you and, and it works really well when you're live stage, because like, you know, you know whenever all the, uh, the BS of, of pitch events, which we've all we all eat, breathe, sleep. Right. I love that yeah. stuff. Anyway, but at the same time, it is BS because, you know, you go up there, you do a three to five minute pitch and then there's 10 minutes questions and all the panel of experts always ask the same questions, right? Now yeah. you can engineer this because if you go up there and pitch the five of the six things they're obviously going to, they want to see, you leave business model out, the first question you're going to get and then bang, yep. you're prepped. And right? you can answer that question like, like really, like, like a really, really shit well. answer, right? And yeah. then they're like, wow, this, this team really knows how to, how to deliver and execute under pressure as yeah. well. Yeah, no, that's a really, that's a really, really nice way to twist it actually. And I like it a lot. I think also I, I agree with that idea that it should be a carrot. It should be just mm. enough to get me excited, just like an mm. elevator pitch, right? Just don't give me everything, but give me enough mm. to say, I'm going to ask more. It's the same with a TikTok video. Just make it like <laughs> enough interest, interesting yeah. enough that people like hang on and then they want to comment underneath. Yeah. They want to say something. So that's a good point. It's actually a pretty yeah. good point. I suppose oh. the point is balancing the story and making yeah. it intriguing enough that I think, okay, your product looks amazing. You don't seem to yeah. have a business model. Why not? Yeah. Then I'll, I'll give Why? You what chance. is it? Yeah, exactly. exactly. And then, and then, and you're like, oh yeah, it's this bang. Oh, of course, brilliant. It's what I thought. And then you sort of subconsciously also um, yeah. uh, manipulate them to also be saying yes. So we heard this theory of saying yes, right? Where you get people yeah. to keep saying yes. And then ultimately you can engineer that yeah you they have a positive relationship with you because they are right you're right yeah anyway there you super go. smart no super smart that, that that's why i think we actually took in a lot of teams to the second stage that didn't have a super strong business model but they had an interesting tech they had a good team and then you know they have a chance to clarify that then when we do like a live pitch but yeah really good point um so to push it along i want to know where at what point was the tipping point for you to say okay uh, i'm matt I'm, I'm working as a VC. I'm like dropped in the deep end, succeeding cool Facebook group back in 2014 with other VCs. <laughs> when did you want to move towards, towards like media and, and towards yeah. like video, particularly video? I think you were like somewhat of a pioneer in Europe in terms of going towards video-based content super early on. Uh, was there a, a critical point when you realized, okay, I've done this over here, I've been involved mm. with a few companies and now I want to just jump in. And I, you, obviously you saw and predicted uh, the future slash the present that we have right now, which is that everything is video-based, right? Well, I need that soundbite of you saying I'm, I'm a pioneer. I'd like to take that. <laughs> no these, problem. Uh, no just problem. post that. That's your first video, TikTok. Your first TikTok first is TikTok. the most, uh, that's a, a very important lesson. Uh, they upgrade yeah. your first one in the algorithm. So you should make it good. Wow. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Okay. Uh, to answer your question, why did I move out of VC? And then I'll come into the whole video thing. Cause it's a bit of a gap in there. Actually, it's about two years. Sure, sure. And the question is, well, the point is actually that, um, like myself going straight into VC from uni, right. Um, very luckily to do so, but you know, just about two years in that, uh, is, is the fact that most VCs for the most part, things are changing a bit now because a lot of mm -hmm. these, a lot of founders, Exited founders are going into VC. Yeah. Um, Peter Thiel is, you know, there with our pioneers of that. Talk about pioneers. Peter um, Thiel is an but, amazing uh, one for students, right? They have to quit yeah, university yeah. to join. Amazing scholarship, yeah. Exactly, exactly that. Yeah, you're well, well versed. But for me, it was operational experience. Mm. And that's what I'm getting at. Like a lot of VCs mm. don't have operational experience. So like me at my, like I was 23 or something when I was doing uh, investments, uh, you know, for Condé Nast, I could write checks of millions of dollars, obviously through due diligence processes approved by my, 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 my bosses and things, but yeah. I was in a power position. Right. And that's the one great thing about being in VC. You're, you're on the buy side. It's great being on the buy side because yes. you're the one with the money. Right. So yes. people, you know, people come to you Yeah. Um, and hopefully you should use that wisely, but but the one thing that's lacking is also, uh, I had never been on the sell side. I'd never been on the startup side, right? Um, so for me, it was a case of, 
Um, we, our portfolio at the time with Vestia Collective and Farfetch, you know, had returned like 17x. Like, so, you know, wow. we, we, we just returned the fund or the capital invested ROI at the time was just enormous. So the was that kind decided- of a, sorry, a first mover advantage because you guys were kind of so early uh, entering this market? It was a mix of the fact that like, you know, we were the coolest kid. Um, Condé Nast has, well, Condé Nast has been a first mover since like 1880 something, you know, as yeah. like they, 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 were, they were doing magazines and prints and publishing and then they moved into right. digital. And then obviously, you know, they own Vogue magagazine. I mean, do I need yeah. to say more? And GQ and Vice and 120 titles, right? So for us going into the industry investing, anyone who was in the industry creating something wanted investment and exposure to what we were doing would come mm. to us. So, you know, we, we really had a unique, unique investment opportunity there. Um, unfair advantage, you know. Yeah, and a massive same, deal flow internally and externally wow. facing, right? Yeah, massively so, right? So so anyway, but to, to go back to sort of me transitioning from um, from from VC was that the operational experience, right? So mm. so we, 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 we had this great deal flow. We had these great investments, this great return so far, right? And we'd invested about $50 million at the time, myself and Jan and, and, and Moritz and, and the team as well, uh, in follow-on investments and new, and new investments. And basically, Condé Nast at the time was like, hey, instead of investing in, uh, in, like for, in minority stakes of high-growth tech companies uh, that we have to follow on and all these things, how about we try and build an e-commerce company, the kind that we're investing in, right? So I, we poached a guy called Frank Zayan from uh, Galleries Lafayette. He founded Sorenza. I think he sold it for like 110 million euros, you know, wow. a very successful entrepreneur, French entrepreneur, entrepreneur. He comes to London. I'm still in the VC team, uh, just myself there at the moment. I, they, they, he, he, he hires his former CFO and CMO. They come, to, uh, come to, to London. They were hilarious guys. These two, they were all, by the way, they were all like, forgive me, I love the guy. They were Napoleon height, these tiny wow. little three French guys called Olivier Germany and Olivier Breton. Really, really lovely guys. Like they yeah, became yeah, yeah. best mates with them. And they were building uh, the investment case for Condé Nast to get a couple million to start building this e-commerce company. So then they poached me and said, hey, we need you to help because you've been investing in all these big tech uh, e-commerce fashion companies. Come with us and help us build the case. So I joined them. And then we, you know, we got about 5 million quid from Condé Nast to start this e-commerce company. And we were building, wow. um, building style.com basically. So we were, so I went straight to startup role, building a startup, uh, fully funded by Condé Nast. Instead of investing that money, we were like, let's build something, which is super yeah. cool and smart idea of Condé Nast. To diversify I mean, their skip revenue over stream. the middleman, right? Just go exactly. directly to the source. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because yeah. we owned the magazines. We told people where, uh, where to, what to buy. Now we would own where they bought it. Whereas beforehand yeah. we were like, buy this new Louis Vuitton handbag in Vogue. Here's net-a-porte or matches fashion. And then they take the commission and the margin. Whereas we just like, we just got ad rev, right? Smart. So it was, a, it, was, yeah, it was super smart from Condé Nast's uh, strategic initiative. Anyway, so I did, I, did a, I did 10 months or something in that before, um, you know, like it was startup woes and, they, and they, they, they Frank and the team. We grew to 68 people by the time I left in like a couple That's months. Crazy. It was insane. Um, and then I, I basically, I was, uh, um, yeah. So to answer your question, not to get into my life story again, uh, I, the reason I left was to get operational experience. And then I joined a series mm. of other startups after that as CFO, COO type roles for two years or so, actually working with a guy called Simon Murdoch, who, runs, who ran a VC fund called Episode um, One Ventures. Mm-hmm. And I worked for a bunch of companies that he invested in. I, ca- I came in as an interim CFO or COO. Basically, like I knew what would happen. I would basically help closing an investment round of anything from 200,000 pounds to 2 million pounds. Uh, support him in that. Then I would go in, support the founders in the transition phase. Cause a lot of founders when they go from wow. like, you know, uh, a good position of, you know, like 50,000 pounds of revenue to raising some money, uh, you know, like over a million quid, they got a million pounds in their bank. And then they have to start yeah. to deliver on the things that they promised in the fundraising process. Right. 
Uh, and That's the part they having, forget, right? That they're taking on another kind of co-founder as an investor in a way, right? Someone they have to be responsible for and mm. talk to and impress, right? Exactly that. So I came in to soften the blow effectively to sort of be that mediator between the roles. And I jumped between five different companies uh, over two years. Um, but that sounds super exciting, like to mm. have that role where you kind of come in. I mean, obviously your VC background was super probably important there to help to understand what's going on on the other side of the fence. And then you yeah. had the operational experience uh, with the e-commerce platform. So you mm. probably had a really nice value and it must've been very interesting for you to hop between these interesting projects, right? Mm. No, I was, I was super grateful. And I met a lot of amazing founders, a lot of great products from e and I, and I was in, ed I was working in ed tech. I worked in, wow. uh, in e-commerce. I worked in a slight bit of a FinTech company as well. Um, and, uh, one early prop tech company, you know, like super diverse industries as well. But I went in there as sort of this, like, I'm going to help you transition also like from a reporting perspective, how to report mm -hmm. to your new investment investors, how to settle these processes up. Yeah, that already stakeholder created. management, right. It's a big, exactly that. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was fun. Cool. I have a quick question because I have a really, like one of my best friends here in Munich is, yeah. uh, extremely well-versed in finance controlling everything and he's actually looking to get into that kind of role where he mm. would come in as an interim position as a cfo and help people with an investment round or set up the finances and the background mm. basically what you just described um do you see like easy potential entry points is there now like platforms where people can find it or is it really just like finding the right warm contacts mm. through your network having a bit of visibility and then getting into that um, so if I were him, I could take it that from that perspective, if I were him and I, so he wants to, so just get your question. Correct. He wants to do as I did. He wants to go into a startup as an interim CFO or CEO for yeah, a period like, of time, like yeah. three, four, maybe even 10, one project, yeah. but like not necessarily yeah. dive in as a CFO is going to take mm. them to unicorn status in the next five years, but rather like enter with his specific expertise in finance, help them out to get somewhere, a very clear milestone, and then jump and go to another interesting startup. Well, there's two ways you could do it. There's the slow way, which is bottom up, which is like, yeah. I know this founder, right? That's one company, one, one founder. Who do you know? Mm -hmm. Or you can go top down, which is what I did. Go to a VC that sees all the companies and then Smart. they have this deal flow, right? So then you go, they've done, they do the filtering for you and then they know who needs the help. And that's how it worked for me. Like I, I, I did a, Smart. I literally just did a, I, I did a pitch presentation for one of the guys. Like I just helped someone out because I was free and I was trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. And, uh, and then, and he was like, great job. Uh, but I noticed that you kind of did a sort of specific things that like I would want to see. You basically gave me what I wanted to see. And I was like, yeah. And then he's like, all right, well then we started to work together and just that kind of snowballed into what it became. Yeah, it's kind of like um, a mini venture builder type situation, right? Whereby yeah, you're bit. like a, an expert in X, Y, Z and then yeah. the investors want their teams to succeed. So they're like, let's get Matt, Matt come in mm. here. They're looking for interim bam, 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 go go exactly and then i you know obviously he's he, a word of warning for him though some of those interim roles one of them dragged out for a year and a half for me i mean i was doing like three days a week but it was still like you know and yeah. it was positive but it was it was that you, know, you get sucked in and, and, I, and but that's also then you maybe he'll find a beautiful role to stay in forever and be the cfl yeah. coo or whatever it is you know yeah cool no that's really great advice thanks for that. a little deviation but it's important because it's uh it's sometimes hard to to penetrate into the startup world like if you're looking mm. for these kind of interim roles unless you've got someone that's done it before so um yeah let, let's move on now i'd love to talk about like yeah at what point then did you become like infatuated with like video-based content and why mm. did you then want to go into media broadcasting i mean you had the background kind of right from your first vc role mm with uh, the company that owns Vogue. So obviously it was already there, but um, <laughs> yeah. was there a particular interest or something, a, a tipping point for you that said, okay, now I want to really give back through kind of media or through video. Yeah. Based? So uh, yeah, again, there's, there's like another couple year gap 
before I got into the media sure. thing, really. And and, and I'll, I'll, I'll jump to that and we'll come back to that in a second. So yeah, to answer no your question now about the, the media angle was, so I, I'd moved to Norway a couple of years after this and I'd been um, running this angel, this angel investment accelerator, right? You know, uh, and through that process, because I'm basically being in London, I was a small fish in a big pond, right? Yeah. There's a lot of VCs, a lot of people. I financial can a, capital a, of Europe as well, right? Yeah. 10 million people, you know, I mean, it's hard to stand out unless you are actually the founder of a unicorn, right? So, you know, I was a drop in the ocean, right? Regardless of how brilliant I thought I was or whatever I could do, you know? Mm. And that's the same for a lot of people, right? Um, and then I go to Oslo. I moved to Oslo in 2017, right? Because of a because of a girl and because I wanted something new and things like that. And I and I and I started running this investor accelerator, which we'll chat about in a minute. But so I do that for for a period of time. And obviously now all of a sudden I'm this like, yeah, you know, young XVC guy, been involved in a couple of cool companies, one of which got funded by Elon Musk. You know, like I had an insane track record for someone of my age and experience yeah, in sure. Oslo now, right? So like all of a sudden I was a big fish in a small pond. Uh-huh. Right. So then what what happened then was that I I, you know, I um and this is an opportunity for so many people to move to like Tallinn and other places where they're smaller markets yeah. and you have a background from a, from a big, big city and you can actually do exceptionally well. And it's still so pumping a lot of money into innovation now as well, right? Smart. Incredible. And Riga, for example, too, with the startup visas, but um, lots of videos on that. Um, but so I moved to Oslo and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm just like, yeah, obviously native English speaking guy with an interesting experience. Their startup ecosystem is evolving and then and, and growing. Uh, you know, it's it's 15 years behind London. So I actually added a lot of value to the organizations and the serendipitous conversations that I had. So what happened was I got, I got asked to talk a lot on stage and, and all these types of things. And and I rediscovered my childhood love of, of basically performing. Like I mentioned at this, I'm a born performer, right? Like I love to perform. And I kind of Did forgot about Did you perform Shakespeare as a kid? I, I mean, I was, I was, I've been Hamlet. I've been everyone, <laughs> trust me. Um, I, I was, no, I really was, Macbeth, you name it. And I forgot about that because like I said at the beginning of this coming full circle, you know, we tend to sort of follow in the footsteps of what's ex- what, what our environment around us is. And that was incorrect yeah. for me, right? So anyway, I rediscovered my love for performance and actually teaching because uh, through this investor accelerator I was running, I was basically teaching uh, people um, on a weekly basis. So I, I was just love to communicate and, and, and talk about stuff that I knew a lot of people there were learning for the first time and I, I added some kind of entertainment value to it which made it a lot more easier to consume so you know i was just like a passionate teacher basically um so then i was like i really want to do this but like how the hell do i do this and then i started to like look and had, do you remember quibi have you heard about quibi oh no. this is a fun story too so quibi was a startup that failed last year but quibi was a startup founded by jeffrey katzenberg the former chairman of disney and a lady called meg whitman Meg Whitman um, was the IBM or someone like that chairman. Anyway, these are like, we're talking billionaire big bigwigs. Yeah. Big names, right? Huge names, billionaire bigwigs, right? They were both in their 60s and 70s, right? Jeffrey Katzenberg says, I'm going to do Netflix for mobile. Gets Meg Whitman on. They raise a billion dollars pre-product, pre-product. We're talking oh like God. no alpha, no beta, nothing, right? And then they build this product and they launched it last, they launched it as COVID happened. So you would have thought, okay, great timing because it's a mobile Netflix effect, yeah, yeah, short yeah. form story to- storytelling. I was inspired by their story. Anyway, um, and I thought, you know what? 2018, uh, the uh, mobile in 2018 uh, took over every other digital platform to consume content. So mobile, I think in 2018, 51% of all con- uh, media content that was consumed that year was on mobile, 51%, wow. right? So basically the future was mobile. And then I was like, I want to do shows and communicate interesting information about startups and stuff, video. And then I looked obviously YouTube and others and I was like, well, obviously video, mobile video is the future. So that's where I was like, I can combine my like knowledge and Mm. thought leadership, quote unquote, 
with um, the fastest growing platform, mobile. No one was making mobile videos really, like that were quality and short form. No. And, and video, right? And short form. Yeah. So, so that's why I was like, I'm going to create a short form mobile video media brand, basically, both to promote myself and my own brand, but also to build and make videos and content for others. And that's mm -hmm. what the Lunacorn became in, uh, in just towards the end of summer of 2018. Wow. That's an amazing story. I mean, that's super interesting because you see now, of course, with LinkedIn going to the vertical mm. format on the, on the smartphones and now mm. YouTube shorts as well, where they're mm. using a vertical only formats, like it's really here. I mean, I think definitely LinkedIn will become a complete video based platform in the future. Mm. I think uh, mm. text based posts still do pretty well, but uh, yeah, you had very good uh, futuristic thoughts there. So that's fantastic. Only, only about two or three years ago. Very interesting. Mm. It was yeah, 2018, officially. Yeah, it's cool. And oh, yeah. the Quibi, let, let the me Quibi. finish the Quibi. Yeah, one. go ahead. Oh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Say, I was going to say, oh, yeah, then the Quibi, obviously. Like, so Quibi yeah, because it's just like, like a billion dollars. Yeah, Come yeah, on, yeah, tell yeah. me. Yeah. So yeah, then, yeah. then Quib, Quibi, and I was like, shit, like, you know, are they going to go into like tech or maybe they'll buy us? You know, like, I'm, I'm engineering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It one, one way, if you see an opportunity in a market that you think a, a big player can take, they, they could buy you, right? So I thought yeah. that's an exit opportunity for us, right? Uh, and then, anyway, so, so Quibi launched one year later, they decided to close shop, right? I actually flew to Austin for South by Southwest in 2019 to see wow. yeah, Jeffrey Katzenberg talk, you know, and I was literally in the audience there, like, like you know, just, <laughs> just taking notes because this guy was amazing. And, and it was, you know, him and Meg were like, yeah, we're flying around in our private jet, just like meeting movie executives. They got Steven Spielberg to make a movie in like 15 minutes, that, but I said like vertical and stuff, yeah. right? And they raised all that money to pay the production houses to do this anyway. Mm. Anyway, so they basically uh they they took off they got like seven million downloads and then or something like that and then basically like half those people i think canceled the app and like no one bought the subscription Just flopped. and then a year later they completely flopped and jeffrey and meg basically gave about 350 million back to their investors so they actually said hey let's stop burning cash because this is not working that was very good of them to do that right no no, no yeah it was like... incredible it was a good 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 strategy to say hey look you know we, hey you all better than us and we're really sorry uh, this hasn't worked as we wanted it instead of mm. just trying to bleed until we die Let's yeah, just, which uh, is the classic stop. approach for startups, right? Yeah, exactly. Let's just give the money back because you bet. Yeah, that's actually a lesson to startups. You can do that, by the way. <laughs> yes, you, you can, can the give back. the money back, and like that's um, probably going to give you a massive amount of cred in the VC world and in the startup world that you recognize it's time to stop. It's dead. Let's go back to the drawing board, right? Mm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Great. I have to make a, a TikTok video now on Quibi because this is, I yeah, think I heard right. it a couple of times and I saw it somewhere, but Quibi. it sounds amazing. Uh, for me now, it nearly in, in hindsight, let's say, it seems almost like a warning sign when you like see two billionaires come together to build something because there was something similar. Someone from Apple or Microsoft tried to build another version of a, a smartphone as well. I made a video on it. I can't remember the name and it completely mm. flopped. They also spent like close to a billion and like the phone wow. was terrible, didn't work and no one wanted mm. it. It was a modular phone. It was the idea was you could Was that the Fairchild? The Fairchild one? No, no. it was one that which is like the, 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 it's a phone that lives forever. So basically it's component, component based. So like you, you know, it's yeah. like instead of buying a new iPhone every year, you just take the back out and do this and yeah. There was something about that. Maybe it could have been them, yeah, but that defeats the purpose of the business model around smartphones, right? Mm. <laughs> I think. Got to have the new okay. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You got to have the latest one every September. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's uh, super, super interesting. So look, that's, that's amazing. There's been a lot of very interesting points there. Um, I'd love to deep dive into something that you already mentioned, which I find very interesting because I'm just beginning my experience in the kind of accelerator world, working with startups, but you've done that with, potential future angel investors to kind of get them mm. equipped, I guess, in like a nine week program to be able to be ready to form, I think, an angel syndicate. So maybe you could just break that down. Like, 
what exactly was that? I think it was Angel Challenge AS uh, in, in, in Oslo. So what was it and, and how, does it, how does it differ really from a startup accelerator? Sure. What is it? Still running. Um, it's uh, so. So long story short, yeah. When I did that transition to Norway, right? So like, yeah, I, I'd been, I'd done like two years working with all these different companies, this interim CFO and COOs and stuff like that. And like, um, this, so this company was created before I joined, um, uh, and j- just before, and it was founded by two Norwegian entrepreneurs, um, Maya Andreessen and uh, Knut Bien, who are also married with two children now. Very, very lovely story. Wow. Anyway. Um, but so this is a pain point that I experienced as well. And they, they, I had the same one and they went and created it and then I joined it and ran it with them um, as the investment director. But I think I'll ask you this question, Alan. So um, how many, and you know this, you're the, you're the, you're the guru behind it. I this, hope right? I know it. Now you're building me up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, what number am I thinking of? No. Um, no so yeah, it was. No. Um, startups. They have, sorry, the sun's uh, blinding me now. That's, That's okay. That's good. You have to get um, the tan. You're in Lisbon. Okay. I got to exactly open it up. So startups, right? Startups, um, it's probably one of the one industry and one jobs that has the most most amount of resources available to you right now, right? Like mm. I'm talking about infrastructure, incubators, accelerators, pre-accelerators, public now, funding, you can, everything. Public funding, soft funding, grant funding. If you're in healthcare, all the free money you can get your hands on, right? Like yeah. there's so many resources and, I, and not just money, but also like mentorship. And, and you, you do a lot of really great videos about that. Like what programs are offering what to, to who, right? So yeah. um, what resources exist for investors, angel investors? Oof, very good points. I only know I only know venture deals, which is yeah. which is by by Brad Felbel. It's, it's like an online course in a book, but it's actually not. I don't think for for investors. Uh, I maybe know one other book, but that, I can only I can only name like those two two potential books mm. that teach people how to be maybe an investor. That's that's it. Like, and, and the funny thing is that you can't have startups without angels, and you can't have angels without startups, right? So like yeah. you know it's chicken and egg thing, right? So um, but yeah, there's so much support. It's like, hey, you want to be a founder? We'll help you do everything. Yeah. You know, here's all the Here's the checklist of how not to fuck up. You're probably going to fuck up, but like, you know, blah, 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 right? Anyway. Nine times um, out of but, 10, you're going to mess it up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But for angel investors, it's like, oh, you can, you can afford to invest a couple thousand euros, a couple tens of thousand euros. You mm. obviously know what you're doing, right? But like most of these people make their money, like in, there might be an accountant or a lawyer that's just run a practice and actually just, you know, oh, they own their house. And they're like, you know what? I should invest. I'm a lawyer. I should invest in legal tech to like learn the industry, yeah. right? I want to invest 20,000 euros a year or something or more. For me, Uh, that's even more risky than a startup because at least with a startup, you get experience. You're not wasting potentially your own like 20,000 euro, right? You're taking someone else's public money, but yeah. Mm. And then my experience was that a lot of the angels that I met and worked with, um, you know, like being a founder, you bump your head and then you learn. So by Mm. that, I mean the first couple of startups, the first couple of journeys, uh, you figure it out, right? Same for investors. So they make their first two, three investments and they might all just be shocking horror. They, they might have asked for too much equity, too much control on the board. Bad contracts, you know, whatever. Bad contracts, bad bad choices, you know, and then they learn, right? Um, but how can we mitigate that? And, and therefore, you know, angel investors portfolios, you know, only the ones that are successful you hear about, most are like, yeah, it's a waste, right? They get disheartened and then they shy away, meaning that there's less angels to invest in startups. If only they'd been educated at the beginning, they might actually be able to contribute more also in terms terms of intellectual capital and the smart money like we all like to quote, right? So anyway, I moved to Norway. Uh, I joined Marin Knut on this mission to basically, you know, they'd already started the programs to basically run an investor accelerator where every single, um, we did it in five cities around Norway. I ran 12 programs, invested in 40 
42 companies, 65 wow. million kroners investors, 6 million dollars. So it doesn't or so, invest right? at the end of it as well, right? As part so of the main point is you, you pop your cherry, right? You lose your virginity of investing because, so you come in this program, you pay us a small course fee. There's 20 to 30 investors. They each put up, you have to commit $5,000 basically. So there's a hundred to $120,000 uh, on the table, right? Wow. So there's, so there's, there's money on the table to, to be invested. Um, 150, sorry, 100 to 150. And then what we would do is over a nine weeks program every Thursday evening between four and eight, and we had dinner together, they, they're a syndicate now, right? We take their mm. money, so that has to be invested. We introduce them to 20 companies. I take them through everything from like where to find a company, you know, obviously how to, this is a syndicate, so we're just going to agnostically invest. We also did some industry-specific programs, FinTech, yeah. healthcare, uh, impact. Um, but uh, at the beginning, it was like agnostic. I introduced them to 20 companies. We would select these companies. Now, think about the other side of it. We say, hey, uh, founders, this program's for investors, but you're also going to get exposure and, and we're also going to educate you at the same time about how to speak to angels, all that kind of stuff, right? We sit them in a room, still have not seen this program done anywhere else other than Oslo, Norway. Wow, uh, I want to scale I don't, it. I don't get it. Genius. Like... I, maybe I should. Maybe I should. I'm sure they wouldn't Let's mind. Let's talk me, after, yeah. okay? <laughs> Let's talk. Honestly, it's, it's uh, I mean, I wrote, I, well, I wrote the initial programs uh, um, uh, and then and they've gone on to create more now, obviously, as well with them, of course. Um, anyway, so uh, in that two week, in that uh, two month period, there's nine weeks. Uh, we start with 20 startups, uh, 20 investors, and then there's a couple weeks uh, and then they start to like cull, you know, they start to mm -hmm. select mm -hmm. the startups, right? And and the thing is like, this is the fun thing. So everyone's like, oh, that's so cool. You, you bring them like 20 great companies. It's like, no, 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 no. So we would get 100, 200 applications, right? And, and I want to show these investors the real life example of what it's like to actually yeah. go out there and hunt for startups in the field, right? And if you're going to go meet 20 companies in a row, they are not all going to be rock stars, right? So I yeah. can't just give them 20 amazing companies, right? So literally what I would do is I'd like, you know, we would give them 10 companies that, you know, you would, you would pick normally, like just good to the, to the, the, the questionable to the great, right? Yeah, kind of to your VC I, level criteria that would get in, right? Kind of Correct, yeah, screen. yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I trust that, that team isn't, you know, there's no skeletons in the closet, to be honest. Like I still question the product, I still question their execution, but you know, like this is for them to figure out, right? Five absolute wild cards, like absolute wild, like the moonshot. And then yeah. they're like the founder who's on their 24th company and is like, twitching like yeah, oh I'll make it time, you know? because also i wanted to show them what bad you know what potentially yeah. bag founders are and then also like and five that were just sort of like bullshit cases because yeah also i want to show that you know like that, that also like bullshit cases that you steam like oh this is the tinder for haircuts you know like all that kind of stuff right yeah, yeah, yeah. so that they so that they got a real life example of tinder what it's for like haircuts, i'm sorry yeah. <laughs> great example <laughs> Yeah, it's my new company. Are you investing? No, but uh, you know. Anyway, so that was just an amazing experience for me because I moved to Norway and like talking about being a being a big fish in a small pond. Like in two years running that program, I traveled to all the cities around Norway. We were funded by Innovation Norway, to which is a soft funding grant funding program in Norway because Norway's got a lot of money, and I, we, we were adding like real value because Norway is a, a country with abundance of liquid financial capital. There's a lot of wealthy people all around from oil, from fishing, from, from, from this kind of stuff. Right. Um, and they, they've traditionally just invest in real estate and, and, and boring things. Right. And oil. And now they were moving out of that oil economy into mm -hmm. entrepreneurship. There was a lot of buzz, but then you had all these people with capital, no idea how to invest and where to invest. So then we came along with this really great program. And then I rediscovered my performance and I got to teach 20 people uh, to 30 people over two months in every city in the country, ran 12 programs while I was there, invested in 42 companies. Amazing journey, like to be part of, I was so grateful. And it still runs to this day, Angel Challenge, go check it out. It's part of a group called Startup Norway. Um, and they are an outstanding group of people doing a great job. And there needs to be more of them in every city.
that's going to be my next question is like how can we scale this <laughs> yeah. because like i mean there's also a massive market in germany i don't think there's something mm. similar being organized there as well it doesn't make much sense mm. are you just europe in general it would facilitate yeah. more unicorns and more investment opportunities that are eu commission less... eu commission that's who we should go to go to the mm. eu commission get them to give us the funds to like create the infrastructure and then we go yep. to the individual or, or like get them to like seed half the start the capital from, yeah. uh, they, they seed half and then the local municipality like their startup fund uh, in riga in yeah. in, in, in in stockholm do the other half then there's like skin in the game it's not just like here's eu giving us more money it's like skin in the game incentive bang that sounds really good because you know i heard recently the eic announced another level of funding kind of like this bridge funding for startups i can't remember the specifics yeah. but it was kind of like pre-vc basically to reduce risk so that other vcs would come on board later but I'm always skeptical of those programs when they're operating at the at the EU level, right? Because you know what you really need to do is what you just talked about, which is educating people on both sides, right? Startups yeah. get a chance to get a little bit of exposure with the the five wild cards, the five bullshit, and then the ten that would be okay. And then, of course, the syndicate would get a chance to really go through a nine week process where they really put money mm. on the table. And I always feel that when people actually put money on the table, it's a very different perspective of how they look at things. So it's a really good learning experience. Yeah. Conversation changes. Skin in the game is the answer always. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be. has to be. Cool. That sounds really, really interesting. Um, yeah. I'm going to have to look into that a bit more. And maybe even I sent the link actually immediately to that friend that I mentioned that wanted to be a, 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 nice. a VC. So yeah, I'm going to definitely look into it more. So um, I'd love to transition now to talking about what, what you're doing basically for your day-to-day. -day. You have a company, uh, The Lunicorn. Uh, you're on social media. You're on LinkedIn. You're on multiple platforms. Um, can we just zoom in for a second about the importance, like taking the perspective of a, a first-time entrepreneur and someone who's maybe got a great idea, they're in the process of validating it. How important is it that they already start to have a visible, a visible presence on social media or building a community, whatever you want to call it, right? Because I think you're also a community builder. Um, can we zoom in there and like, do you have any tips or what is your perspective on social media and the importance of it for any new startup that is coming on board? Because you had that vision back in 2018 and you saw that, you know, smartphone video-based content is going to be the future. Um, do you have another vision for the next two years of where it might be and how startups could get ahead or is it top secret? Sure. No, no, no secrets here, man. Sharing is caring, my friend. Um, no competitors, only uh, complementary uh, relationships. So yeah, to answer your question about sort of um, uh, how important is social media and, and or visibility, right? And I think the, the, the main thing really comes down to like, you know, obviously, what are you, what are you trying to be, trying to be vis visible for? You know, obviously, if you're a business to consumer product, like B2C product, then you need to be in your customer's face. So then it's extremely important to be seen as a thought leader, uh, you know, to be seen as a cool new brand, to have some recognition, some validation, but also to your point before we started this podcast as well, talking about, was it a hundred questions, a hundred uh, customer questions? Yeah, a hundred meaningful conversations, this iCure process from UK. And Correct. Japan. Correct. Right. So the second you go out publicly saying we're doing something, you're going to have either positive or negative feedback, both are valuable because it's like, someone's like, great, this is what I've been waiting for. We're like, oh, we have some customer validation. While you have that pos positive connection follow up okay great but yeah. what do you love about it what would you what would you like to see more about it vice versa oh not another not, not another tinder for haircuts you know <laughs> to use that <laughs> brilliant no. example that i that i hope someone listening to this absorbs and does um because it's genius um <laughs> no but seriously like uh tinder for haircuts uh someone said that's a terrible idea and you're like why is it terrible 
well, because there's this brand exists. Okay. What do you hate about them? How can I make that experience better yeah. for you? Right. So I think visibility isn't so much about like creating a 10,000 subscribers and getting the blue tick or whatever it is. Yeah. It's more just about like you give you, the, the more visible you are and um, the more chance that you have to have interesting conversations with people. Right. So 100%. I think being visible and being, being seen and uh, being discoverable is important because, you know, otherwise what's the other route? Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 I think you fall then into the classic trap of just loving your idea so much and thinking that you can't share it because someone's going to, God forbid, they'll hear your amazing idea, they'll steal it and they go make Tinder for haircuts. It's done. Game over. You've lost it. Um, so yeah, I think you have to be... <laughs> It could work during COVID times, Matt. You never know. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. But I think you just yeah. you fall into that trap of just not being open, right? Uh, and you keep the idea too close to you. You spend too much time developing it, and then you go and test it when it's done, and then it doesn't work. Of course, like nine times out of ten, it's not going to work. It's going to have to have some modification uh, based on customer feedback, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. No, that's that's really good. I think it's it's a really important point. I mean, I, I can just attest to that in terms of what I've done on TikTok recently as well, and that it's not about the viewers, but the amount of connections that I have made through mm. TikTok. I mean, we met through through also through Instagram as well. We were messaging yeah. on, on on DMs and Instagram, right? Mm. Which which is still mm. hot right now. But it's the same <laughs> on TikTok. I mean, you can meet amazing people that are on there that really reach out to you and want to engage with you. And I think as a startup if you deliver some value through whatever content you're producing or whatever way, it could be a blog, right? It could be as simple as that. Mm. And that's already creating a customer connection, like you said, and that could be used for feedback for the future or whatever it might be. Um, But maybe you said recently, just before we started the the podcast, uh, that you had your first session on Clubhouse. And I think you have Mm. a video as well on on Clubhouse. So maybe could you give me your perspective on it? Like the summary version so people can still go to your video afterwards. I'm glad you asked because I was literally just before this um, doing a follow-up video about that. I was thinking about, I was watching some really interesting comments that uh, actually Gary Vee made about Clubhouse because, you know, obviously Clubhouse now all of a sudden hit us. I don't know, are are you on Clubhouse yet or...? I did one session. It was a mixture between German and English. So I kind of like was yeah. a bit shy. I did actually two, <laughs> but I'm trying to make it consistent now, but uh, haven't gotten into the groove. Mm. So I think obviously, firstly, as Gary B said, I listened to this video earlier, but I think um, it's a, you need to be on, you need to experience both sides of it. So like there's what mm. I've had it now for a while, actually. And I never, I was like, oh, not another social media product. And actually, I have to you get know, on this now, right? Not, not like, like TikTok. Like now you're telling me to get on TikTok. But people have been telling me that for like, for like a year since it's been Gary cool. V has been like, telling us for two years, right? <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, and I'll tell you a secret as well. And like, I categorically hate social media, by the way. Like I just hate Interesting. it. Interesting. So like, the reason, I'll tell you what reason for that as well. Like I don't hate it, but it's just sort of like, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I love hate so relationship, my, right? I, my advice to any startup going to this is like find someone on your team and, and hopefully that's you that loves it, right? Just loves it because then I give someone who loves it to do it because for me, it's a chore. That's why I'm yeah. not actually particularly successful at doing it because it's a chore. And I've just like actually been lucky enough to be successful by monetizing my brand through Microsoft and other big companies that became big customers of ours. Anyway, but that's another conversation for another podcast. Uh, but, um, but about Clubhouse, yes, I had my first session. I hosted my first session last night. And it was a really enjoyable experience. I have to admit, it was really enjoyable. Uh, the topic was not related to what I do in the day to day. It was about male sexual health. Actually, it's something, it's a passion project of mine. And I think all founders, by the way, have a passion project. Hopefully that's your company, but uh, you know, have a passion project. My passion project recently has been, uh, other than what I'm doing is um, um, sex positive conversation for, male, for men, modern, modern man, actually. And so I had a conversation, I invited on a podcast called Let's Talk About Sex, Jamie, a guy who does this podcast. I brought on cool. the founder of a startup called Blue Heart IO. That's the first tip, and good collaborations. 
very important. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And we had a really beautiful conversation. It was really enjoyable. And it, the best part was, like, I know one of the guys was cooking dinner. You know, like, and and it, everyone was just having conversation, and people would drop in and out. The topic was what the topic was. And we, you know, because you're not like physically with someone, I feel like people were a little bit more open because, you know, yeah. kind of sometimes I think if you, you say things, you think people are reading you or, you you know, you might be yeah. one of those people who looks like they're always reading someone. Right. So you sort of you make people uncomfortable, maybe maybe you just have one of those faces. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's true. You're, but you're suspicious. I was sitting at home in the corner here by my editing computer with a beer and having this amazing conversation. And it was, you know, a couple, you know, a couple people dropped in. It was just fun. And that's when I see the value in it. And like my mm. honest opinion, and hey, everyone listening to this, go check out my video on Clubhouse, Lunacorn on YouTube. Um, go check it out. Because Clubhouse has an opportunity now to create what television has been doing for, for decades and uh, you know, almost a century. Is, you know, at least when I grew up, you know, I'd watch Top Gear at 8 p.m. on Sunday, right? Yeah. The news is always at five or six. And there's a reason because it creates a consumer habit. So mm -hmm. anyone listening to this who, who wants to create a podcast, who wants to do anything that they want to do regularly you do it at the same time on the same day or every week or every month because then you create a consumer habit yeah. and clubhouse has an opportunity to not compete with all the other social media platforms that we have but to create what radio and tv's done is by i want to tune in for uh, alan and matt chat every wednesday at eight because they always have interesting conversations because it's ephemeral it's there when it's there and it's gone when it's not yeah. So yeah. Anyway, I think Clubhouse is really exciting for that for that reason. Um, not that it's going to be this new like scroll, 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 scroll. No, yeah. if you go back for the productivity that it gives you, the utility. Yeah, I think it also capitalizes on the current like the last two years, the rise of podcasting, right? In general, like the rise of audio in general, and it converts it into something even more interesting, which is like a live podcast that you can potentially even jump on stage and I can get a chance to talk to Matt about sex, uh, sexual health or whatever, you know? I think that's also the potential is like, almost like the, the barrier between celebrities or experts or people that seem like you can't like touch them or you can't get to them yeah uh, and then like john who sits in ireland and galway or whatever can just like come on mm. stage if he raises his hand and they can have that connection i think it's very very powerful and i think mm. uh, just would second your point about the fact that it's more conversational and not video based mm. i think it reduces some of the stigma because some people don't want to be on a, a video call like on the zoom call because we're all on zoom all day right now but yeah yeah Really yeah. interesting. That's cool. Great. So look, that, that's a, I'm glad you said it. Uh, we had a another event here in Munich that was also very successful for the same reasons. It was called, uh, I think it was called uh, Taco Tuesdays and they made taco talks. Started with four guys just having tacos every Tuesday, grew to like 40, 50 people every single Tuesday and then decided, hey, look, let's make a, an event out of it. They charged, they did like the inspirational talks type thing, like a mini <laughs> TED talk. And it worked because it was the first Tuesday of every month. There was free tacos. There was free beer. That's it. Just like consistency rules every time, right? Exactly. Yeah. Create a Amazing. consumer habit. Yeah. 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 Super, super cool. Um, look, I think maybe just to, to finish things up, um, I would have two very quick questions. Maybe number one, would you have any like very core uh, or like interesting advice that you'd like to give to first-time entrepreneurs? Um, mm. uh, what I'm getting at, I'm a big fan of resources, toolkits, like free things that... Uh, or even like, you know, books and stuff that entrepreneurs can really use. Was there anything that was really pivotal, 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 no, 
yeah, pivotal. There we go. Pivotal, in, correct. Yeah, yeah. pivotal. Exactly. <laughs> so much German. Um, in yeah. your in your kind of career, your journey, like I'm sure experience was core. We touched on that, but was there anything that you just can't live without when it comes to um, first time entrepreneurs? Anything you would suggest or advise? I mean, it's a very good question, right? Like I, I have lots of different sort of like sound bites about like the entrepreneurial journey and things like yeah. that. I mean, well, f I mean, the, the most obvious, and I hate to sort of repeat what everyone else says, but like, don't do it alone, actually. Yeah. Uh, and the re you know, be a co-founder, have a co-founder, like, you know, if you're a single founder, find people and, in and have, give them skin in the game. Don't give them like, you know, oh, here's, you can have 1%. Like, don't be, don't hold all your, your babies, like into your chest. Right. So I think, you know, it's not so much of a resource then just, you know, don't do anything alone. And I'm not going to quote the famous rhetoric to all get told, like, you know, if you go alone, you'll go slow, go faster together, all that stuff. Right. But the bottom line is that like having someone to also take the slack when you need slack, mm. whether it's a holiday or, you know, it's, it's just sort of like, you're just having a bad month because you're going to have a bad month. You're probably going to have five bad months a year trust me um yeah. hopefully it's that's an end of the spectrum right so it's good to have someone so that's one thing but resource wise um um just to say on, on your point it goes back to what you yeah. said about the social media being a chore i think for you as well and i think that's mm. a very important point because you need to focus on what you're good at like in the beginning you kind of have to do everything right but if you can get someone who really loves to do i don't know video production or editing like mm. editing for me is a pain in the ass like social mm. media not too bad but like I think finding those other people that are going to really be able to work with you and mm. complement your skills is like super important. Mm. And then just one follow up on that is about team. And this is one you, I mean, everybody knows team, 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 but your, your first 10 hires uh, will ultimately define your, your journey. And I guarantee mm. you that literally. Um, and I, when I, when I say that, I mean, like a lot of founders have, you know, you, you can do a lot with Upwork and Fiverr, these basically, yeah, you know, super suspicious of it kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, it's more so, and you can find great people, don't get me wrong there, and it can be cheap. But for me, it's like the time investment in actually going through and sorting and then dealing with those people and stuff like that, with that, that are in wherever in the world they are. And I'm not discrediting those platforms because I've used them and I do use them yeah. still um, for uh, low and easy work that needs to be done in a short period of time, right? Um, but in general, like finding people and then bringing them along the journey that your first 10 hires actually will make the difference. Because if you, if you bring people in, um, and incentivize them from the beginning, they, you know, will get that feeling of being part of something. And, uh, you know, the first 10 highs will make your journey. I guarantee you that. Yeah, I have to second that. I mean, recently, this has all been for a year, the strong startup, just me. Uh, I took someone on as a co-founder like four weeks ago, and it's just like, like skyrocketed. Mm. Like he's doing everything regarding the website and all this thing mm. we're going to do with the startup toolkit. And like, it's like a different world. Like I can actually just drop stuff on him and tell him and, and we work together and he, he can do things. Mm. I can have the ideas and come up with the content. And it's just unbelievable how one right person that joined your mm. team can just uh, take it to the next level. I have one last one. I'm sorry. I know we're Go way for it. No, no, no. It's, it's okay. It just it's came okay. to me. It just came to me actually. And I think this is a good point because I've never heard this because uh, I, I intend to write a book about this, by the way. So that's Second, it was checking second book. Shout out to a start, have, startup buzzwords, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. I started the start of Buzzword Dictionary, correct. Do you have one? No, I don't actually. No, I have okay, to get I'll one. I'll get one to you. I'll get oh, one to please you. Please do. I, I've got a bunch here. Yeah, I'll get one to Fantastic. you. Fantastic. I'll do a little um, book, review, book review for you. Yeah, Yeah, please. It's a cartoon illustrated. Yeah, it's, anyway, it's not much of a book, but it's uh, more of a Yeah, but I know it. It looks but, uh, pretty cool. It's, it's sexy. It's cool. Anyway, but the point is this. Find out what type. The no, There's a thing called the known unknowns. Mm. Find your known unknowns. So if, if you know, find out what kind of founder you are. So there are different types of founders, right? There's an opportunistic founder where it's someone who basically just sees an opportunity and takes it. 
Um, there's the entrepreneur for entrepreneur's sake. You get all those people who are like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur because Gary V told me to be, you know, like, and that's totally fine. Be that person, but, yeah. but know that, know that you're that person that you might need more talk. So find someone who can, who can capitalize on your talk, find someone yeah. who's like, yeah, you're a fucking talker, go out there and talk and let me execute, you know, like, so find, find yeah. out the known unknowns. That's my biggest recommendation. Like find out what your weaknesses are mm. and find out what your strengths are. And the, the, the age old habit of the founder is to do absolutely everything because you have to, right. And that's fine. But like, if you can find your co-founders that can complement you in those areas, uh, as opposed to a carbon copy of yourself. And if there's two carbon copies of yourself, then, you know, try and find a third person to balance that out. Right. And that, and that is actually, but knowing your known, the known unknowns, like, you know, and then and your, your weaknesses is like the best thing you can do at the beginning. Cause then you could try to, you know, fill the gaps, fill the, and those 10 people you hire in the, in the first two years or however fast you grow 20 years will fill those gaps and, and do that. Uh, don't never, never hire someone because you have FOMO. You can always uh, fire, you can always hire people, but it's really difficult to fire people. Yeah. Especially in Germany. I'll say. <laughs> in Germany and France in Norway. And also just the fact that it takes your time and energy away and kills your, 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 then you have churn. So never hire someone because of FOMO or any reason like that. Yeah. It's like what they, what they say is to always hire someone who's better than you. Right. And then they say that managers or people that are not going to like succeed will always hire someone who's not as good as them so that they can talk down to them or kind of control them. So I think that's a really good uh, recommendation that you have is to hire someone and, and to know, first of all, who you need to hire by reflecting mm. on what your weaknesses and your strengths are and then hiring those individuals. Yeah. Cool. Really, really great advice. Nice. Um, yeah. Just to finish up then, um, maybe just a quick few words about Lunicorn. What are you doing yeah. right now? What's, what's going to happen in the next while so that people will know where to go and sure. uh, what value you're providing to the startup community? Yeah. So short little timeline. Founded the company in uh, like August, 2018, built that up over two years, basically to a seven person team. Um, we were about 5% of what you saw of the Lunicorn was what we did for ourselves. 95% was we were producing short form video content for Microsoft, for Telenor, for DMB, for all the big banks, Danske Bank in Germany. Unternehmertum, I went there. That was paid yeah. By the I remember government. you went to Digital yeah, Hub yeah. Mobility in uh, my office where I am yeah. now. Yeah, paid, yeah, paid for by the Digital Hub Connector in the German nice. group, right? So big, big campaign for them. Anyway, so we, you know, we 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 raised one and a half million. We we hit a million rev and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then basically, um, don't don't push over that. That's super impressive yeah, in the space yeah, yeah. Well, of two years, like. It, it was great. It was great. And because again, like you said, we hit a market, we, we hit a niche and then, you mm -hmm. know, like there was not really videography. We're like, and there's always, everyone, everyone knows a guy or a girl who can like make wedding photos or videos, Very right? True. Like, but there was no like structured organizations that you could go to that could make like what you needed for social content. There were a few popping up some agencies did that. Anyway, fast forward to COVID summer last year, obviously uh, downsized the team as everyone did, you know, struggled like everyone. Um, but very serendipitously, um, my third largest investor, who is a very successful Norwegian entrepreneur, who sold his last company to GoDaddy, spun out a division of that, which now he's turned into a 20 million ARR business in two years. It's Whoa. insane. It's called Arpended. Anyway, he calls me and he's like, hey, we want to start doing video now. And that's the reason that he invested in Lunacorn, uh, you know, two years before that, or, you, you know, um, we want to start doing, doing video and, and all the stuff that you do. Can we pay you as a consultant to help us out? Started doing that realized that they wanted to bring me in the way they could do that was by the lunicorn so they bought the lunicorn wow. now we rebranded to luna to, to lunicorn 
And our intent, uh, what we're doing now is basically um, innovation infotainment by creating, mm. um, you know, high quality YouTube storytelling video content around the innovation industry, bringing infotainment, you know, entertainment to the tech industry through our YouTube channel. So that's Lunacorn on YouTube. Um, and uh, yeah, and that's, that's the main focus right now. And we're trying to just continue to build this media company under their umbrella. I still run it. I'm now, instead of seeking out revenue to pay the bills, now I'm funded as by a sponsorship from them. So it's like a really nice That's arrangement. Amazing. That's a nice position to be in for you, right? You can really focus on the craft, right? On the content. Exactly. It's supposed to having to be out there and, you know, please sir, more sir. Um, and yeah, the exit was great for me. And then, you know, I've got a three year, three, three year exit um, lock up with them. And so I'm with them for three years to earn my equity. Uh, we did part share swap, part, part cash exit. Um, so it was great for my investors. I had, I had 10 investors and they're all very happy because now they have exposure by the share swap to a high growth software company as opposed to sort of my somewhat less scalable uh, old school video production type company in a media yeah. space, right? Yeah, that's amazing. And, and I must say, right, uh, when I first saw you, I guess it was actually through your digital hub mobility uh, video yeah. that you made and you mm-hmm. made it on all of the different um, innovation hubs in, in, in Germany, I think. Um, that's where I first saw you on LinkedIn and then I followed you. Yeah. And then as soon as I got vidIQ of my YouTube channel, I marked you down as like competition. I was like, that's my gold standard. Yes. That's where I want to be. <laughs> Not competition, right? What did you say? Yeah. Uh, complimentary. Co- co- complimentary. Collaborators. Exactly. Collaborators, I, I think is the question. I have yeah. you. I have Slidebean. I think I have Gary yeah. Tan as well. So for statistics purposes, I'm like watching yeah. you closely. And um, I must say the content amazing. So everyone, please head over to Lunicorn on YouTube and make sure to subscribe. We'll put all the links in the, in the description for this uh, whatever it's the show notes on the audio version of the podcast or whatever it's going to be on uh, some clips that we publish on youtube so everything will be available mm-hmm. so please go and subscribe and um, but it's been an absolute pleasure that's an amazing way to finish the podcast that's a huge success story i feel like we brushed over a little bit we might have to do another podcast again because <laughs> there's a lot of things to zoom in there how you financed and how you grew your business you took on investors mm-hmm. in the beginning and i mean you exited within two years or so this is absolutely super super impressive and um, i can't wait to see what comes next I, I wish that you hit the the thousand mark on your on your youtube subscribers in the next couple of minutes i hope and i think it'll definitely come super super fast uh, because the content quality is is extremely high so um thank you very much matt thanks for giving back again as well uh, a lot of tips a lot of different um, bits and pieces that uh, all the entrepreneurs i think will be able to to take from so i uh, really appreciate your time today all right man thanks for having me really appreciate it Cheers. great thanks very much